Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Rob Gary, filling in for Dave Popowich. Rob is an investment advisor, wealth advisor, part of the team of the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group. Rob, thank you and welcome to the show. Always good to be here, Faisal. Well, it's been nice that you've been uh, coming in on the show, pinch hitting for uh, uh, for us now and again. So um, as many know, Dave, are, Dave is away on vacation. I was away. Uh, I had surgery. I had a lower body injury. I've always wanted to say that. It's like I'm a hockey player. <laughs> We're getting in time for the playoffs now. I have a lower body injury, right? Um, so, Injured reserve. <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the IR list, the injury reserve list. So, uh, but it's um, but thank you for filling in, Rob. I think um, this week specifically has been a very interesting week in the markets because we've had some key pieces of information, some volatility. And I, I'm going to call it economic news and earning news coming out this week. Huge uh, technology companies being the highlight of these of these earnings. Even though we had some railroad companies and so forth still make their uh, their earnings release, but the technology companies, the big ones, the the trillion dollar companies, were the ones that were in focus yeah. quite a bit. But there was some GDP numbers that came in. Now let's let's start with that, and then we'll talk about our show what we have on. But let's start with the GDP numbers. Canada, U.S., what did you find that was uh, the, the positive and the negative side of the GDP numbers on, on both sides of the border? Yeah, so we'll start with the U.S. So they had a surprising contraction last quarter for the first time since 2020. Uh, they fell a full 1.4% annualized rate expectation of a 1% increase. Well, that's a large miss, right? So where did we lose on those numbers. So they're still showing solid household demand numbers. Personal consumption was up. Uh, residential investment was up. The subtraction came from trade. So reflection on a surge in imports and a drop in exports. So that's an interesting movement because if you look at what happened in Canada, mm-hmm. our trade numbers looked pretty good. We had, yes, we had solid numbers across the board in Canada's GDP numbers. So, so look at the difference between the two. You've got you've got the Americans still the, the spending of the household still looking good, but the trade numbers they are importing more than they're exporting. Mm-hmm. In Canada, our export net export numbers were better, so our trade numbers were better. Yeah. On top of our spending, so that's why we had a good number coming out of Canada. And our delay of the reopening of the economy was the big one in this report. Yeah. And so you see that it, but that didn't cause the markets to fall. No. When when we got the negative GDP numbers, negative, not not positive, but less than before. We're talking a negative GDP. Now we get one more quarter of negative GDP. The R word is here. It's called mm-hmm. recession. Most economists are not saying there's going to be one. There could be a revision to this number, so it's still some time. Um, but it's it's interesting to see a negative GDP number considering the Americans' economy has been open longer than we have, has been trading and moving and selling goods faster because of supply chain being clogged more on our end than the American side because we import a lot more from the States. So it was interesting to see that there was no negative market impact to that when it came to... uh, And under further scrutiny, right, with rising interest rates and what these federal banks are going to do here. So, yeah, very interesting. And I think you nailed it right there by talking about the interest rates. I think when the GDP number came out, 
the bond market goes, wait, well, maybe they're, they're not going to right. raise interest rates as much. So let's not let's not react in that manner. Let's react as if they're not going to raise interest rates, which did well for technology, for example, and so forth. And, and that kind of caught people by mm -hmm. surprise. And speaking of technology, a few small companies by the name of Google, Amazon, Apple, oh. they kind of showed their numbers uh, this week as well. <laughs> did they ever? Uh, let's highlight Apple's. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a big one for everyone. Revenue in a lot of these companies, fairly in line. Yep. So the missings came from a uh, bottom line. So mm -hmm. uh, net. Net earnings, yeah. Net. Um, and across the board, the headwinds were the same across the board. That We're talking supply chain issues, inflation. Yep. On Amazon side, it was how much infrastructure they invested in the start of the pandemic that they now have are paying for. So here's what I love about these two technology companies you talked about. Talked about Amazon and Apple. And we have had economists on this show. You and I have talked about this. Uh, we've talked to this with Dave. And we've said the economy is changing from COVID. During the peak time of COVID, it was a consumer goods booming economy. So anything you can buy off of Shopify or Amazon, mm -hmm. voila, and Amazon took off. Shopify took off in their in their price of the stock. Fast forward now, people are doing things. It's service-based service. economy. And so travel, eating out, accounting fees, we just did our taxes. <laughs> These services are coming back into play and that shifts your spending from, uh, now I think my house is, is the anomaly. I think I'm the only one uh, maybe maybe Dave's house too that spends so much on Amazon that I think Amazon should give us shares for free for all the boxes they deliver to our homes. <laughs> but uh, but generally speaking, the economies in the in Western Europe and North America are shifting to mm -hmm. service based from product, which is a very interesting move in the in the markets as well. You're seeing this airlines doing better than in some some cases the product base yeah. of the economy, which is which is where, where things need to be. That just shows that we're now opening up and 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 travel and so forth are going to be there. So a, yeah. very, a very interesting move. Was there anything that caught your attention this week uh, from a news story, from uh, economic numbers or earnings or anything like that? What was the uh, surprise? Because I didn't get a phone call from you saying, hey, Faisal, check this one out. No, you were nice to me because I was... <laughs> I had a lower body injury, so, uh, um, but uh, was there anything that caught your attention? I, I, so the GDP numbers in Canada was a great news story. So I, that, was the, that was the highlight for me. Um, I would say the technology side and how it affected the market, how the market reacted to forecasts moving forward, and if they can keep up with growth was the big one for me. For sure. It's like uh, growing up, you're, you get an A on your report card, your parents expect you to get an A on the next report card. And if you deliver a B plus or an A minus, I don't know about your household or my household was like, uh, you might want to change your last name, Faisal, <laughs> right? Because you're no longer part of this family. Like kind of, you get you get pushed down and there's the stock value. Faisal had a stock value back when he was a student and he gave a B minus or a B plus after an A in his report card. Ooh, hammered. <laughs> Faisal stock would be hammered in the market, and that's what we saw in the stock market this week. And to speak to that, the acknowledgement by the Bank of Canada saying they missed on the inflation number was also, I found that interesting that they finally came out saying that they had missed the first part of the year and are now 
having to go a little bit more aggressive. More aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and not surprising because no central bank in, in the Western world was raising interest rates. I think New Zealand was the first out of the, out of the, uh, the, the, the democratic mm-hmm. countries. Um, and so that's interesting considering inflation and so forth has been impacting other places as well. So yeah, they, they've come to the party late. They might have to catch up and raise interest rates faster. Time will only tell, depending mm-hmm. on what's happening with the war, with the potential recession, or a slowdown in the economy in the United States. How does that impact? And 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 we talked about this in, about this change in consumer spending from goods to services, travel being one of them. And today on our show, we're going to talk to a travel expert from Goose Insurance. Mm-hmm talking about you know, what are some of the common practices you need to be aware of, how important is travel insurance. There are countries that won't let you in if you don't have travel insurance. Mm, huge. Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna find out which countries those are. And a big topic that I'm, I'm really looking forward to is the rivalry. Now I'm not talking about flames and oilers <laughs> with all, all the, that, that rivalry, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about US and China. Mm, huge. That's a huge rivalry. Um, I call it the technological cold war. We've had these types of conversations in the past, Rob, about rivalries between countries. Uh, a lot of the listeners and viewers of the show will remember of uh, the cold war between the US and Russia. Um, the rivalry now between US and China is a big one. And we thought we have to put some light to this because I'll go back, uh, I'd say four or five years ago as I called it a technological cold war between these two countries. And so now it comes time to talk about what does this rivalry really mean? How does it impact everybody? As Canadians, what does that impact us considering where we're located geographically? Um, But we need to bring an an expert understanding this whole whole piece. That's why we have Carl Delfield. He is the, uh, the US channel rivalry expert. He is an expert on Asia, emerging markets, rare metals, and alternative assets. Carl, welcome to the show. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Okay, so you, you've written a book. For those of you who don't know about his book, his, uh, it is uh, available and ready to go called Power Rivals uh, America and China's Superpower Struggle. Um, Carl, tell us, tell us more about the book itself first. Sure. Uh, well, I think America, uh, well, Canada and the West is in uncharted territory right now because, as you alluded just a moment ago, we had a, a, a power rivalry with China, I mean with Japan, but that was primarily economic. They were an ally, uh, a democracy, um, and that was a very intense rivalry, and it still actually goes on right now. And then, of course, the Soviet Union was primarily military and ideological. But with China, it's what they call in Washington a full-spectrum peer rival. It's all four. It's technology, as you mentioned. It's economic. It's military. And it's ideological. And we've never had as strong a rival as China. Um, when you look at, at uh, the book itself, um, what were the biggest surprising parts that you found when you were when you were putting this together? Well, I, I, I started uh, in Asia with Japan. So I, I knew Japan well, and then I went to the Philippines with uh, on the board of the Asian Development Bank. So I learned a lot more about Southeast Asia. I'm not a China expert, but in researching this book, 
I was uh, taken back about how quickly China has caught up to the United States. I'll give you one example. I don't know if you're football fans, but if you look like in uh, the year 2000, the U.S. represented about 28% of world GDP, and China was at 3%. So your halftime at a Super Bowl, the score is 28 to 3, you're feeling pretty good. Last year, the score would have been 23 to 16. So you can see how we're uh, uh, one score away, as they say, from a turnaround. Um, China has just made remarkable gains over the last four decades. And not in technology, you know, they, uh, they're, 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 they're getting close to being peer rivals, whether it's a, a artificial intelligence, cyber, right across the board. And then military spending is really ramped up. China is already an Asia superpower, it represents half of Asia's GDP, half of Asia's uh, military spending. And keep in mind, for, from, from a North American perspective, it's, an, it's a home game for China and an away game for us. Carl, based on that conversation saying, you said military superpower, do you feel like the United States is going to lose that proverbial global title of the, of the main superpower? Well, you know, it, it depends how you define it. Um, you know, technically, we're, we're, we're getting close uh, on current trends to perhaps losing that or sharing it. Uh, and I'll give you a, another example that people don't realize. You know, China obviously is four times the population of the United States. They have tremendous scale. They're the largest manufacturer by a very significant margin, maybe 25% of world manufacturing, the largest trading nation in the world, something that the U.S. used to be not, not all that long ago. Um, that People don't realize now China's the largest trading partner with the European Union now and with South America. So um, they, they really are a, a stiff challenge, and I think – People were asleep here in Washington in the U.S. I think now that complacency has fallen away. Now we have the risk is going the other way too far, right? The, uh, hyping, hyping it and playing political games with the challenge. But I think we, we, need, we need to realize that this is um, a decisive decade and that China is a real, a real rival and there's serious consequences for the West. When we go back in history, Carl, we look back at some of the major dynasties in the past. Let's talk about Great Britain as an example and so forth. Uh, the passing of the next um, superpower, I think it was the Dutch to the Britons, Britain to, to the U.S., U.S. possibly now to China. Those The handoff is not like a track and field event where you just pass a baton. It can become very um, bloody. It can become very painful to a lot of members within the country and the peripheral areas. Um, should China become this next uh, superpower where the baton is being passed, where do you see the, the, the risks, the, the damage, and where do you see the opportunity? Well, you're right. I mean, it's a period of, I, I call this decade a period of uh, opportunity, but equally a, a period of vulnerability. And the handoff you mentioned, um, uh, is important because with the U.S. and Britain, we were 
you know, we were competitors, uh, much more intense competitors than people realized throughout the 19th century into the 20th century, when in by 1910, we were a larger economy. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Great Depression and then World War II, where we were allies. And that's really where the handoff almost formally took place quite quickly, quite peacefully. Uh, and we continued to be strong allies. So that was an easy uh, handoff. Uh, China, of course, is a whole different game because we're so different culturally. Uh, we have different political systems, different cultures. We're in different parts of the world. When you think about it, we're, we're, we're very different. Um, and, and the U.S., of course, and you can see in terms of what's happening in the world, is not going to, is not inclined to hand over that baton very gracefully. <laughs> so you're right, the, the, the chances for conflict, and we can talk about Taiwan, uh, are, are real. When, one last question before we have to go for commercial break. We've got under two minutes to go. Uh, just wanted to kind of get an understanding of what your thoughts behind this. When we look at the passing of the baton, or even if you go to the Cold War between Russia and the Americans, uh, countries had to decide which side they were on. Were they on Team Russia or Team USA? In this rivalry, I believe countries will have to decide what team they're on. Now, when you look at countries in the European Union, a, a big superpower, economically speaking, uh, but because of of a geo of political reasons, they might have to pick one side. But because of economic reasons, they might have to pick another side. Who do you see on Team China, and who do you see on Team USA if they had to pick sides? That's a very good question, and I think the Ukraine situation has changed things a little bit because in my book, which of course was written primarily last year. I talked about Europe as sort of being the key, the key man in the middle. Um, when you look at Europe, they already trade more with China than they do with the United States. And countries like Germany, which of course is by far the dominant economic power in Europe, they have traded more with China than the United States every year for the last six years. They sell two to three times more BMWs in China than they do in the United States. And so the whole auto industry, and then the other thing I would say is that China, I think this was part of China's strategy to not just be an Asian power, but to be a Eurasian empire. So they were working very hard through Belt and Road to expand through their de facto ally Russia into the heart of Europe. In fact, they were shipping tremendous um, amounts of uh, goods by rail from, from China to Europe. And so um, I would say before Ukraine, I would say a lot of uh, Germany and some of the other nations were on the fence and we'll have to see how this, all this plays out. But um, you, you're absolutely right that Europe is sort of the fulcrum and um, the Western hemisphere, North and South America together is a billion people. That's still 400 million short of just China. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy when you think about it that way. Carl, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. How do our viewers and listeners get a chance to pick up your book? Where, do they, where can they buy from? Well, the easiest place to get it is uh, Amazon, Amazon.com. And uh, it's there in uh, ebook, hardback, and paperback. There you go. We've got Carl Delfield. He's the author of Power Rivals, America and China's Superpower Struggle, 
available on Amazon in any format that you pretty much like, which is fantastic. Carl, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Rob, this is the time where people start seeing the snow melt. It's getting warmer outside. And you know what? They want to get the you-know-what out of, out of this city. It's exciting, isn't it? Are you excited? I'm, I'm actually excited. I'm going to Europe yeah. in about a month. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited. Now, there's been a lot of changes happening with the restrictions and so forth. And I'm hoping that with, by the time I'm ready to go to Europe that, hey, you can do whatever the heck you want. Don't Fingers worry about crossed. it. But, uh, but it's, it's a, a lot of changes are happening, but I think we need to, you know, talk about these changes, but also, uh, you know, find out what some of the best uh, travel practices that we should have, but we should bring in our expert as well. We're joined with Omar Kaiwan, co-founder, Goose Insurance. Omar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. Omar, you know, I guess there's a lot of changes happening with restrictions uh, between here in the U.S. and internationally with masks, no one knows really what to think until they literally either get on the plane or about to get on the plane. Maybe you can give us some tips and what you're seeing on restrictions internationally. Yeah, I mean, it has been very confusing. Um, a lot of people are confused in terms of what's actually happening. Every single sort of country is almost at a different spectrum of, of these restrictions and, um, you know, um, between what's happening in Canada, what's happening, you know, in, in, in our neighboring country and, and, the, and the requirements. So it's a little bit all over the place. But for Canadians, um, the restrictions are very limited at this point. They're not, there's not a whole lot of restrictions. If you're fully vaccinated, you're free to travel outside of Canada. Um, you're not required to have any kind of um, COVID-19 testing when you return home. Um, children under the age of 12 who are also um, um, unvaccinated or vaccinated, essentially, they don't, they're not required um, to have any kind of testing moving forward as well. Um, if you are traveling to the U.S., though, specifically, um, the destinations that you're traveling to, um, and to some extent, the carriers, the airlines that you're traveling with, um, may impact some of these rules. So if you are traveling to the U.S. by air, you are required to have a negative COVID-19 test 24 hours before uh, leaving the home country. If you are crossing via the land border, you don't need to. Um, if you're going to the U.K., I know Faisal said that he's going to Europe. I don't know if he's going to the U.K. or not. There is no testing whatsoever, and there's no requirement for you to be fully vaccinated or not. So, um, in short, <laughs> there are a lot of confusion. There are a lot of rules, uh, but there, the good thing is that you know a lot of I mean, both both of the major Canadian airlines have really good information available on their websites as part of the booking process. Um, there's also a great um, uh, Canadian uh, uh, sort of platform called Sherpa um, that has all this restriction information uh, available for travelers. Um, so anybody who is planning on traveling this summer. Um, and we are expecting a high um, uh, sort of volume of travel this summer. Um, they, they do need to do a little bit of homework and to make sure that they have the up-to-date, most accurate information before they uh, leave on their journey. Omar, when we look at some of the best travel practices that we should take on going forward, with all the changes that have been going on, um, with everything that's happening at airports, give us, a, give us some of the best travel practices that people may have forgotten. Um, that's a great question. I think uh, first thing first, make sure that you have all your travel documents handy. Um, 
the first thing you should be doing is checking the expiration date on your passport. Uh, we are dealing with a lot of passport delays here across Canada. So that should be the first thing you should be doing. Um, the destination you're traveling to, look at the restrictions, what's available, what's not. Um, we are also dealing, seeing a lot of um, sort of fluctuations in terms of um, uh, airline scheduling and all that stuff. So book your ticket in advance. Consider purchasing travel medical insurance and uh, make sure that, you know, as, as, as you embark on your journey, that you're patient. And because there's still a lot of changes, there's still lineups, there's shortage of staff. Um, so, but travel is happening and people are starting to travel, uh, which is, which is great. So, um, yeah, uh, keep your documents on hand and, 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 uh, put on a smile and be patient. You know, Omar was talking about lineups. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, last weekend, um, I went to Vancouver, um, and at the Vancouver airport, they split so let's say I'm going to gate C, mm. but they would say, if you have priority or nexus, you go through this lineup, so you're right at gate C, but if you don't, you have to walk all the way down to gates A and B and walk around to get to gate C. Getting your steps in. Getting your steps in. The lineups are even longer. There's less people working than what we've seen in the right. past. And so patience, like you said, Omar, very good point, but I think people have to understand that it's not how it used to be, you just get in, mm -hmm. get into here, and you're going straight to the quickest line possible. You might be rerouted to different areas of the airport just to end up at the same place. So it's very interesting what's happening. Be prepared for that. Get there a little bit earlier if you can. And, um, and, and, and remember that, especially here in Calgary, walking to the airport, don't have to wear a mask. The minute you get into the airport, don't Gotta forget, you need your mask. Like little things like that, you forget, eh, Omar? That, oh my God, like I had to run a 7-Eleven because I forgot my mask. I had to run a 7-Eleven inside the airport here in Calgary and pick up a, a mask. And man, they, they're not cheap. Let me tell you that. I learned that the hard way. Um, so little things that, you know, best practices that don't forget. <laughs> Omar, you mentioned before about travel insurance. I wanted to touch on travel insurance just because a lot of clients have been asking about it. And a lot of individuals have been asking about it going, do we need it? Is there different products out there? Do we need something different or is there caveats and we currently have that it's not going to cover us? Can you touch on travel insurance? Travel insurance uh, has evolved and thank you for uh, asking that question. And, and you know, um, it has evolved in a sense that COVID-19 is sort of a, a, something that a lot of countries are requiring uh, for visitors and tourists to have. Um, in fact, some countries are out there are actually validating before you can enter the country. Um, so if you go to any of the Caribbean countries, Turks and Caicos, uh, Belize, so on and so forth, they require you to show um, uh, a proof of uh, COVID-19 um, uh, travel medical insurance specifically, or travel medical insurance that covers you for COVID-19, um, depending on which type of policy. Philippines is the other one um, that requires a declaration uh, for you to submit uh, before you can actually visit. So travel insurance has changed um, and it's really important to consider it. I think COVID-19 has really put travel medical insurance top of mind for a lot of travelers and a lot of Canadians, even the ones that didn't necessarily consider it said, oh, nothing will happen to me, I'm okay. Um, it's really sort of put it in mind that, you know, unfortunate situations can, can happen if you're traveling outside of, uh, of Canada. Uh, outside of your home province in, in, in some respect. I mean, if you are from the province of Ontario, uh, unfortunately, OHIP does not cover you if you're traveling outside of uh, the province. Uh, nonetheless, um, the 
there are two different types of policies really for travel medical. There's the core travel medical policies and some agencies like Goose will cover you if you are fully vaccinated and you're following your local authorities guidelines for vaccinations. So if you're traveling outside of your home province and you're fully vaccinated, it will cover you for COVID-19 related medical emergencies when you're outside of your home province. And then there's also a standalone COVID-19 insurance specifically, uh, which Goose was the first agency to launch here in Canada back in 2020. And that policy itself covers you for travel medical uh, um, emergencies relating to COVID-19. It also has quarantine benefits, which some countries require you to have, like the Caribbean. So if you do go uh, and for a vacation and you test positive and you need to self-isolate, they want to make sure you have an insurance policy that will cover you for your meals and accommodations relating to your quarantine. And it also has trip cancellation, trip interruption benefits, meaning that if you've tested positive and you can't get on a plane or you've tested positive and uh, you can come but cannot come home, uh, it will cover you for getting you on another flight and so on and so forth. Um, so that's really the two main types of policies um, that are available today to Canadian consumers who are traveling abroad. Omar, if people want to get more information on, on insurance through Goose, how do they, uh, how do they reach you? Uh, Gooseinsurance.com um, is the best way. They can also download the Goose Insurance app. Uh, Goose Insurance app is made by Canadians for Canadians. Uh, we're a Canadian-based company based out of Vancouver. Um, so they can download the Goose Insurance app or visit our website, gooseinsurance.com. We do have licensed agents also across the country. Um, so if they have any questions, um, especially people's uh, Canadian snowbirds, uh, pre-existing medical conditions, so on and so forth, if they do have any kind of uh, questions relating to that, uh, we have licensed agents across the country who are more than happy to help. Big player in the field is Goose Insurance. I want to thank Omar for joining us today. Thank you, Omar. Thank you. We talked about traveling, travel insurance, some of the Caribbean countries mm -hmm. not accepting you unless you have proof of insurance. Did not know that. So that's an aha moment for us. Um, the, the baton may get passed when it comes to superpowers from the U.S. to China. Now, I'm saying the baton as if it's like a nice little cordial kind of movement here. No, it's not going to be that way. I think there's a lot going on. I mm -hmm. think we need more study about this. I think this war with Russia and Ukraine has um, opened eyes to many people about how the U.S. dollar sometimes is not the super currency right. of the world. Yep. Right? With what's going on there. So... Is the change in superpowers happening um, in some degree? Yes. In some degree, no. It's going to be, a, I think, time will tell. I don't think any superpower can say the superpower forever. In, in, yeah, in certain areas. Yeah. It already has. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happened there. There are two different ideological and political viewpoints of these two countries. And that conversation we had about, you know, which side does Europe sit on? Are they on Team China or Team mm -hmm. USA? I think that's the big one. I think that's yeah. going to be a big swing of the pendulum of where the rest of the world kind of follows. Like Canada, we're, we know who we're, who we're teaming up with. Right. right. We're not going to be on Team China, most likely. 99% probability we're on Team USA. But what about Europe? That's going to be very interesting to see. And, and these are the kind of things that people worry about. And when you look at war, superpower changes, uh, COVID and opening and traveling and all the things going on economically, going on in the markets. This year, year to date, we've had many listeners of the show, viewers of the show, 
call us up and say, I'm down eight, nine, 10%. What do I do? I can't believe I'm down. Like the, 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 the S&P 500 down 11% in US dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like what's, what's ha- I can, my retirement's at risk here. Like people are getting concerned. And we notice that when the phone calls keep on coming in uh, from, from listeners of this show going, what do I do? What do I do? Uh, they join us on our seminar and they go, what do I do? What do I do? There's a change. Now, our portfolio, our, we'll talk about the growth bucket specifically, um, globally invested, mm-hmm. but not down 8, 9, 10%, down 3, 4% year to date. Um, so the word protection comes into play. Mm-hmm. And people have said, I've got phone calls from clients saying, thank you for, for protecting us during this volatile time. I've got clients saying, oh my God, three, four percent. Right. <laughs> I can't believe we're down this much. Um, but they, they're not using a reference point of a broader benchmark, like what we use, or they're not comparing themselves to other, to our competition out there, for example. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I, speaking of benchmarks, right? And, and we always get that what someone else is doing. Yeah. And we've been seeing that. And, and I guess the, the common word is we're balanced. Yeah. But we're balanced. So we're protected. So let's talk about the word protection because there have been people who've called us up and said, when you say the word protection on the on, on your show, Rob, are you saying you you don't lose money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a misunderstanding. Yeah. So if you if you can just you know indulge me on this one, Rob, I want to use the analogy of the airbag in someone's vehicle. The airbag, when it gets deployed because of a crash, does not protect you from injury. Right. It's designed to protect you from death. You got it. Protection still being used in both scenarios, injury and death. You will face injury in market volatility, but will it be catastrophic where it can really impact your retirement? No. Right. Not on our watch. So our protection is like an airbag. There, you know, being down three, four percent year to date can be concerning. No one likes to be down three, four percent, but it's not. It, you know, when you're down nine, ten, eleven percent, how long will it take you to recover? It could take you a year, two years, three years. Do we have that time in retirement to recover? Is the problem now? You've been talking to clients. You've been talking to people who've been listening mm-hmm. and watching the show. When they hear the words protection, are they saying anything different to you? Are they talking about different things when it comes to protection? So I would say, generally speaking, the word protection comes with those rule of thumbs of fixed income. Mm. Well, we're in fixed income, right? But we're also in a rising interest rate environment, which is creating some, right? Yeah. Extra issues right now. Yep. Um, so I'd say that's the big one, but maybe you can, let's have a conversation on the alternatives that are still in our growth portfolio, right? Uncorrelated to the equity side. So when we started off the portfolio back in late 2021, Mm -hmm. so fourth quarter, we acknowledged that interest rates are going to rise. So we know that bonds fall, generally speaking, when interest rates rise. Okay. So the Canadian broad bond market down 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, global bonds down around 6 7%. So we expect that to happen. 
So in our growth bucket, we did not put as much allocation mm -hmm. to the bond market. A lot of our peers in the industry have stayed to the 30, 40, 50% in the bond market, and they'll take their lumps, and they'll be patient through this and let the entire cycle take its place. I think when you're in retirement, you don't have that patience, right. that time to wait and see if it works out. So what did we do is we took a portion of it, instead of putting 30, 40, 50% in bonds, we only put 10% in bonds, mm -hmm. but we put the remainder in bond-like investments. We call them alternatives. So similar volatility to bonds, but not bond market, therefore we don't have that, that risk, and so we've been able to profit and right. protect along the way versus the bond side. When it came to the stock side, we didn't go heavy in emerging markets because that was the best place from a valuation perspective to be. We tilted towards Canada. We bought energy companies because we said, how did you invest in Asia without investing in Asia? And we know that they need energy. Then the war came on and we're like, okay, we need to still look at that as part of the play. And that's been part of our adjustment to the markets. And so this is where I think what falls off with a lot of our, our peers, at least based on the calls that we get in from the show, is I don't think our investment team, our portfolio manager, mm -hmm. says the people who are, who are watching, listening to the show, are being active through this type of market. Right. They are the buy, hold, and hope it works out. Now, I'm not against buy and hold. So I, I don't want that to be the message. Mm -hmm. What I'm against is the word hope. And time. And time. You nailed it. In order for a investment strategy to work, it has to go through a full cycle. Now, how long is that cycle? For us, it's 18 months at the high end. Mm -hmm. So you have to be patient with us for 18 months. Most of our peers, five, six, seven years, yep. When you're in retirement, you don't have that kind of time. It's painful to watch. Oh, is it ever. Oh, is it ever hard to watch. And so I think when we look at what's going on, people have to understand why are they down when markets are up and you're up, why are you up? What's been the attribution to that and what's been the detractor to it? And have those conversations. Now that's one thing that we do. We send an email every single month to our clients telling us what we bought, what we sold and why. It kind of gives them an idea of where things are. But protection, going back to the initial point, is that protection does not mean you're not going to have a negative number. Right. It's an airbag. An airbag will still provide protection with injury, protection from death. Continued long-term returns yeah. at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So this has been a great show. Rob, I want to thank you for filling in for Pop. Appreciate which it. We also want to talk about how people can still have that protection, how they can profit, how they can match their retirement goals with their retirement plan so they don't have to worry about all the issues that are going on. They can actually enjoy their lifestyle and bulletproof their retirement at our upcoming seminar. When will that be, Rob? We got one coming up Tuesday, May 24th, 7 p.m. This will be live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Rob Gary and myself, Faisal Carmelli, thank you for joining us on More Than Money at 770 CHQR.
David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.